Uh, let's stand our feet. Let's give God some praise this morning. He's the king of our heart. He's a good God, good, good father. He wants what's best for us. His plans are awesome. And we can't even imagine what he has in store for us. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let 
Seasons change No, I won't give up 
nothing else will do. And I just wore you. Nothing else. Nothing else, Jesus. Nothing else will do. And I just wore you. And nothing else. Oh, nothing Shine 
a hunger, that God would consume us. So we're going to pray that God would give us a hunger this morning, that God would birth gifts and ministries in our church, that God would use people, he would call people, and lastly, we're going to pray for healing and deliverance this morning, that God would move in a powerful way this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's turn to prayer. God, we just come before you and we pray, Jesus. God, give us a hunger. Lord, set us on fire that the world will come to watch us burn, God. Lord, I pray that you blow on the embers in our heart, God, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us and we would burn inside, Jesus. God, give us a hunger to know you. God, give us a hunger to be close to you. Give us a hunger, God, that we burn out of control. God, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger to serve. Give us a hunger to know you and to be close to you, God. Give us a hunger to walk in righteousness and holiness. The word says, blessed are those 
that thirst and hunger for righteousness for they shall be filled. God, give us a hunger for righteousness. Give us a hunger for holiness, God. Give us a hunger to walk and to be purified. Give us a hunger for the process. Jesus, as you form us in the process. Lord, we ask that you would use us to raise up ministries in the church. God, that the gifts would begin to flow in our services, God. Lord, you would use us powerfully. Lord, use us. Just like Isaiah 6, God, send us. We are a church that is willing. We are a church that is that is willing, God. And use us. Use us in the, in the gifts, God. Use us in the ministries, Lord. Give us new creative ministries to be birthed. Lord, and we pray this morning for healing and deliverance, God, that this would be a place of refuge. This would be a place where depression would flee. This would be a place where anxiety would be bound up. This would be a place where deliverance, where people would find freedom, God. We pray this morning, this morning that Jesus, people would find freedom from addiction, freedom from bondage, freedom from anxiety. God, that they would have peace and joy flow through their mind and flood their spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you and we honor you this morning and we thank you for all that you're doing, God. The ushers are coming now with the elements. And here at Life Church, we practice open communion. And what that means is the only qualifications is that you are a follower of of Jesus Christ, a born-again believer, and you can take communion with us, that you've made the decision that Jesus is your Lord, and He's your Savior, and you're submitted to His Lordship, and, and once you've made that choice, you can practice communion. We practice open communion, and as the ushers are passing out the elements, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave it, he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus was blessed. He was broken and he was given away for us so that we can experience salvation. We can experience a relationship with God. And Paul writes the church and he says, do not take communion with an unclean heart, essentially, if there's things in the way. So this morning, I want to take a moment and the band's going to go back into that chorus. And I want us to do a time of reflection that we ask God to forgive us for the, for the unforgiveness in our heart. Maybe the bitterness, maybe the things, the besetting sins that are holding us back. And we ask God to forgive us as we do a time of reflection. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of of me and let's reflect when Jesus was beaten he was broken for our reconciliation to God let's take a moment right now where we reflect and prepare our spirit to take the body and the blood of Jesus so come and consume God all we are give you permission hearts are yours we want you we want you so come and consume God, all we are. Give you permission, our hearts are yours, we want you. 
yours, we want you. We want you. So come and consume, God, all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours, we want you. Our time together, God, is to honor you and to lift you up. Jesus. The Bible reads again, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we just pray, Lord, we spend some time reflecting. We know that this bread is a representation of your body, of the, of the redemption that you bought us, the reconciliation to God that we can walk in, in, in relationship with the Almighty. God, I thank you that you bought reconciliation and redemption by dying on the cross and defeating death through the resurrection, God. I pray that you move in our service and you touch us. Forgive us, God for the sins, the besetting sins that hold us back. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you for the blood. That though our sins be as scarlet, your blood washes us white as snow, God. It's the blood that purifies. It's the blood that covers us. It's the blood that bought us redemption. The life is in the blood. And I thank you that your blood has given us life. And we can walk in redemption. And we can walk in reconciliation. God, I thank you. And cover us with your blood. In Jesus mighty name. Let's take the cup together. God, so we just seal this time together as we practice communion, as we fellowship over the Lord's Supper. We honor you and we thank you, God. Lord, that this very service this morning would be everything that you would have it to be, God. We pray for Pastor Bob. We pray for your anointing on his life, a healing on his body. In Jesus' mighty name. And we all say amen, amen, amen. Why don't you give the Lord some praise this morning? Tell somebody hello. Shake somebody's hand as you're seated. Well, good morning, Life Church. It's so great to see you this morning. For those of you that don't know me, 
My name is Josh. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I'm so glad that you've decided to be with us. I want to welcome you to service this morning. If this is your first time with us, we just ask that you visit the Welcome Center after service. We've got a special gift for you and a connect card that you can fill out. We want to get to know you a little bit better, help you find your place in the kingdom, and help you find your special fit in our church. And so, also, I do have an announcement I want to remind you guys about. Pastor Nick got up last week and talked about Micaiah's call, and this is an out an event that we'll be doing here at Life Church to reach the youth. And so, um, no, I got cross-threaded this morning. I'm sorry. It, the, the meeting that he's having is for youth camp. <coughs> See, I'm getting old. I'm not a youth pastor, but... <laughs> The meeting he's having is for youth camp. It's going to be immediately following service in the youth room upstairs. So that was the announcement. I got all cross-threaded. I need some never sees. <laughs> That's only the mechanics will know what I'm talking about. Come on. Hey, Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. We believe at giving here at Life Church. We've got four opportunities for you to partner with the Lord in giving. We've got boxes on the back wall. We've got a text to give feature. We've got a giving feature on our website. And we've also got a Life Church app for you to be afforded every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving. Hey, Pastor Bob's coming to preach the message this morning. But before he does, how many of you know it's his birthday today? Come on, somebody. So why don't you join me in singing him happy birthday. Are you ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor Bob. Happy birthday. I noticed you're holding that mic way down here. <laughs> we love you, Pastor. How many of you love the pastor? <laughs> Amen. Somebody's communion cup. There we go. Yeah, it's one of those times, you know, comes around once a year. Amen. Well, the Lord's been good for 67 years. That's all I can say. Amen. Uh, oh, you want me to mouse out all this? Okay. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I made, I made a statement that I was going to make a big announcement. Then the week went, week went, went by, and for, I forgot, and everybody else forgot except one person after church. So the next week, I said, we're going to make it next week. And then I forgot, and nobody else remembered. And so <laughs> Pastor Josh came up and said, you forgot again. I said, I'm getting old. <laughs> I mean, come on now. <laughs> and uh, so anyway... Um, the announcement we wanted to make was that in keeping with our, our vision and our goal is that we are in the process of putting together the infrastructure for small groups. And so uh, beginning in the fall, probably like the end of August or something like that. And so there's a life group leadership meeting after church in the room across the hall right there, right? Okay, right after service? All right, okay. So there it is. All right, there it is. <laughs> Praise God. Because one of our goals is we say that we want to connect, we want to grow, and we want to go. We want to connect with God, connect with people. We want to grow in God and grow in our relationships with one another. And then we want to go into all the world, but we want to go into our world. 
And so those, those three simple words very well explain what our vision and purpose is. And so anyway, um, I wasn't here. Somebody said, hey, you weren't here last week. And I'm like, well, I wanted to say, you want me to tell you how many times you're not here? But I didn't say that, you know. <laughs> and, um, but um, I, this is a picture where I was last Sunday uh, outside of Cracker Barrel uh, in Gadsden, Alabama. Um, I used the excuse of going to a competition barbecue, uh, which I did do that last weekend um, in, in Glencoe, Alabama. But this is some of my family. And um, some of us hadn't seen each other since I buried my mom three and a half years ago. I'm sorry. God did a healing in my heart at this meeting. I had not grieved the passing of my mom until last weekend, that weekend. Those of you that knew, know me, I was caregiver for my parents for a dozen years or more. And, and anyone who's done that, you know how heavy that weighs on you. And so when the time came, and then I had to do the funerals and everything else, and I never did grieve, and I always wondered what was wrong with me. And uh, But anyway, I told my siblings a few months ago, I said they have a new competition coming in Gadsden, out near Gadsden, Alabama, and I had some that lived an hour away, two hours away, three hours away, four hours away, and I said, now, I'm the oldest of seven, two of them didn't come, but... I said, if you can get there, I will drive that way. Little did I know gas was going to be $5 a gallon at the time. As the Lord, I made this commitment, I'm going to do it. They all took off work. They came. They were there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And, and while I sat there and listened to them laugh and talk, you have to know my family, we're loud. <laughs> And uh, if you don't believe me, ask my wife. The first time she came to eat dinner at my house, one time we were dating, she was like, what in the world is this, you know? But anyway, as I sat with my siblings and we hugged, I cried. And everything that had been held back let go. And I felt whole. This wasn't part of my message, but I wanted... My wife's had the statement this morning. She goes, you ought to put the picture up there. And so uh, on my left right there, that's my youngest brother, Ron. He's a tall guy. That's my brother-in-law. Lives in Macon, Georgia. The woman in the light blue, that's my youngest sister. And that's her husband next to her. And then on either side of my wife is two of my other sisters. And so we had a just incredible time. And I've been crying ever since. Just the thoughts and hearing their voices. And of course, we had to take some Louisiana with us. I bought cracklings and, and boudin and, and I mean, you name it, I brought it, loaded up, and they took it all. And then they ate all my barbecue too. So <laughs> anyway, I wanted to share that with you. I, um, um, I want, to, I want to show a little short video, if I can, and I'm going to let it, just let it run right now. I, I saw this the other day, and the minute I saw it, Holy Spirit began to speak to me and reinforce what he had been saying 
to me about this message. And, but he showed me two other aspects that I didn't know. One I will share with you at the end of the service, but watch this dry creek bed suddenly become full and overflowing. Notice how quickly it's happening. And then they're going to go to the other side and show how it's flowing under the bridge, through the culverts, and it just continues. I'm not going to make you watch the whole thing, but it's almost near the end. There it comes. I'll let it finish out, but as I, as I was watching it, he spoke to me as a confirmation about what I want to share with you this morning. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that while I was during worship, God had given me a, a title for the message. I'd been holding it for several weeks, trying to figure out what direction it was going. And, um, but then he showed me two other aspects of it, and I'm going to share one of them with you at the end, and the next one I'll share next week. So let me just get into the title here. And that's the title, Panic, Prepared, and Promises. For some time, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me, giving me warning about some things to come. And I've hesitated only simply because I wanted to be sure what he was saying. How many of you know it's easy to hear other voices? You, gotta, you have to hear Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. There's a little echo in this. Okay. In John 16 and 13, it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. People Overlook that last part. So one of the purposes of Holy Spirit is to show us things that are to come. Okay? Now those things have to be in alignment with the Word of God. Come on now. This is the standard right here. If he shows you something and it's not in this book, you ought to have a red flag going up. Okay? I mean, that's just the way it is. But Jesus was critical even of the people in, in his generation for their inability to discern the times. In Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56, and he said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather and there is hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it that you do not discern the time? In 1 Chronicles 12 and 32, it speaks of the men of the tribe of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. It's one thing to understand the times. It's another thing to know what to do. The Apostle Paul even spoke the same thing to his generation about knowing the times. In Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, he wrote to the believers there, and he said, and do this understanding the present time. Okay, I can, I can now go back 
60 plus years and remember the past times. I have no understanding of what the future holds. I know what right now is going on, but I can connect dots from here to here to here to here to here, and I can begin to see where things are going, and that's what he's saying. He says, and do this understanding the present time. He says, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. Our salvation is almost here, complete, the completeness of it. I am completely saved, but the fruition of it comes complete when I am caught up or resurrected to be with the Lord forever, body and spirit. Come on now, that's what he's talking about. Our salvation is Jesus Christ and when he's coming back. If, if anyone is taking note of the worldwide changes and at the speed at which they are occurring and they know what this Bible says, it is clear, I'm going to make a statement to you, please don't misinterpret it, but it is clear that we are entering into the times of birth pains described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Entering into, that, that could be years, it could be months, it could be, it could be a couple decades, I don't know, but I'm just telling you that when I saw that video, just, I was just scrolling through news and reading news and somebody posted that and maybe I clicked it and I went, whoa, Holy Spirit is speaking loud. My eyes were drawn to that dry creek bed. Okay, that's the first thing. And that's where I thought, that's what I thought it was all about. It was only later Holy Spirit began to show me some other things. And this is what the Holy Spirit's been saying to me for a couple of months. In fact, I told Pastor Josh just a couple of weeks ago, I said, I know what God's saying to me. Uh, I, I, I'm just trying to find the way and, and when to do that. But he's saying there is a time of difficulty coming. Prepare yourself. Okay? Now, I know that's not something people want to hear. They want to hear Man, God loves you, and everything's great and awesome. And hey, uh, you know the kings in the Old Testament did that, and they hired all those prophets that would tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. But there was always that one who would be brought before the king and say, don't call him up here because he never prophesies anything good about me. <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, Pharaoh... Remember the story, Pharaoh had a dream that disturbed him, and, and he called all of his wizards and all his wise people, tell me what the dream means, and none of them knew, but they said, there's a guy down in prison, I remember him, he, he interpreted my dream, go get him, his name is Joseph, remember? And they bring him forward, and he tells them the dream, and he comes back the next day and tells Pharaoh, he says, I can tell you exactly what it is, you're going to have a seven years of of, of, of plenty, but there's going to be seven years of leanness. And he says, the dream means that you need to prepare for the time that is coming. Now, I'll throw a side note in there to you, and that simply is this, that it was the time of leanness that brought Joseph and his family back reunited. 
because they were without over in their land, and they said, we hear that there's wheat down in Egypt. Let us go down there. And they had turned against Joseph. Remember that? And, but, and, and the, his, old, his brothers had, uh, had pretended that his body had been killed. They'd sold him into slavery. You know the whole story. If you don't, go read it. And, um, but it was the time of leanness that brought his family back together. And I just felt impressed to tell you that because I feel like God's working on some people behind the scenes and you're wondering what's taking so long, God. <laughs> Can I tell you, when you get to the point, you know when people change? When the, time, when the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. I'm just telling you. So there's some leanness that's happening in people's lives, some emptiness, emptying that's going on and getting them to that place. The, the prodigal didn't come home until finally he said, my, ser my father's servants eat better than this pig slop that I'm eating. I'll go home and see if I can just get on staff and work for daddy. See, there was leanness that came to his soul. And so today, anyone who is buying food or gasoline or clothing or anything else recognizes that the big topic that's being talked about is inflation. And, and, and what I realized except a couple of months ago as I saw all this building and building and building, I said, we have a lot of young people. And, and I say young, if you're younger than me, you're young. <laughs> but there's a lot of you, you have never seen you have never lived through a period of inflation and skyrocketing interest rates and all that kind of stuff. Or if you've seen a little of it, you've never seen it on this, the magnitude of this. Okay, I remember years ago, Brother Bobby, you'll remember when the prime interest rate, and that's the interest rate that the banks take, plus whatever they add on to it for like mortgages and stuff, was over 18%. And mortgages were running 21 to 25% interest. That's loan sharking. I'm just telling you, we've lived through that. We've seen that. I know what it is to see uh, cost controls put on gasoline, and that's what our president is thinking about trying to do. And, and the minute you do that, you're going to have gas rationing and lines for five miles. And, and I've seen it. I'm just telling you. And, and, and I realize that a lot of you have never seen that before. And, um, and, and it's going to create days of panic. That's why I had that panic prepared and promises on there. Luke 21, 26 says, Men's hearts will fail them for fear the things that they have the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Notice that it's the expectation. In other words, what they see is so out there, so off the chain, what, what they think is coming next. And listen, I, I drove to Minden uh, Friday afternoon to, to be in a contest up there. And, and um, as I'm driving, I'm listening to some of the news people and every person's coming on there and one's saying oh it's going to be like this and one's saying it's going to be like this and one's going to say and, the, and they're all speculating in other words they're they're expecting this they're expecting this they're expecting this and the common person if I can put it that way the average American has no clue because the talking heads don't have a clue but I know in whom I have believed and he's still on the throne, okay? So when anybody speaks of preparing for the future, 
I have found my personal experience, you may not have, but I've found within the Christian community three different groups of people, okay? The first group is the ignorant. That's the only way I know how to put it, the, the ignorant. They walk around, they don't have a clue. Somehow they think that preparing is just foolish. After all, this is the mighty USA, okay? Then you have the second group, and that's the super spiritual. And the super spiritual believe that preparing for difficult times is tantamount to anti-faith. And, and they believe that if you have faith, then you don't have to make any provision for what's ahead. You just simply trust God and all of his providence. Well, then I want to ask them, do you have insurance on your car and on your house and whatever? Why not just trust God? So you're preparing for what could possibly happen. Not necessarily what is, but what could. And then you have the third group, and that's the super preppers. <laughs> so you go from the, the ignorant to the, the super spiritual to the super preppers. And these are the folks that are building underground bunkers. They, they've still got canned food from Y2K. And some of you don't even know what Y2K is. That was the year 2000 when all the computers were going to shut down and the world was going to come to a screeching halt. And, and they lean into that position says, I don't trust or need anyone but me and God. And they almost believe that they could do it without God. I'm just serious. So which one is right? Is there, what, is there, I look for the balance and I look to what the word of God says, okay? And, and I'm someone that places a very high value on faith, but I also place a high value on what this word says. Proverbs 3 and 5, we know it. Faith is, he, he talks about, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. Without God, none of us have hope. In fact, without God, I'd probably be dead by now. But faith is not about sitting on your couch and waiting for God to do everything for you. Okay, faith is taking action on what God has directed you to do. See, a lot of people, they don't want to have to get in the prayer closet. They don't want to have to listen. They don't want to have to discipline themselves to get in this word. They want to get a word from somebody else. And, and I'll never forget years ago when my wife and I were traveling in, with Norval Hayes and we were at a big conference in Oklahoma and Kenneth Hagin Sr. was speaking and, and he got a phone call. He told us this the next day. He got a phone call in the middle of the night, like 2.30 in the morning. And, and the hotel operator said, Mr. Hagin, I'm sorry to bother you, but your sister's on the phone. And he said, well, put her through. And some woman comes through on the phone, Brother Hagen, Brother Hagen. Oh, thank goodness you answered the phone. We just, we were just sitting here praying. He says, who is this? I know my sister's voice. This ain't my sister. He said, well, brother, this is, th th there's three of us in this room. We were praying and, and, and God said that you had a word for us and we, we, we needed to call you. He said, first of all, you're a liar. Because you ain't my sister. He said, oh, but I am in the Lord. He said, well, I got a word for you. 
They said, what is it? And, and, and she said, he's got a word for us. Rutabagas. And he hung up the phone. See, it's easier for us to go to somebody else to get a word. But I can tell you that the word that God may give you or you or you or me may be totally different. Because my situation and your situation and where you're at and what God is going to do and where he's going to move you and how he's going to use you is going to be so totally different. There is no one blanket you know, answer for the whole thing. You've got to get a word from God. And what I don't understand about these people who are against preparing, I'm like, why do you go to work? Well, I gotta have money to pay bills. Why not just trust God? If He know if He's gonna take care of you, you know. I mean, why not just stay home and trust that God's gonna put money in the mailbox? I remember years ago, a lo local minister in this state came out with that saying, "Money cometh." I can't tell you how many times I was building computers at the time and for support, and because I was in a little mission church and. And, and I got checks all the time. Money cometh, money cometh, money cometh. The only money cometh was going to the preacher. And they weren't getting no money. I'm just telling you. Look, God can do supernatural things that require absolutely no part on, our, in, 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 on us, okay? I know that because it's happened to me. Do you want to hear one real quick? Real quick? Yeah. Coming back from Gadsden, Alabama, I didn't know when my family would be leaving on Sunday, so I told my wife, I said, well, stop in Meridian. I'm going to be exhausted anyway because when I cook in a barbecue competition, I only get two hours sleep at night. And then visiting with family and, and everything else. So we, filled, we got gas, and, and I had it planned out where we were. I already had the reservation. And we're coming into Meridian, and we're three and a half miles from the hotel. And I look at my gas tank, and it says quarter of a tank. I said, well, I'll just wait till we get to the hotel and check in, and then I'll go get gasoline. We'll go get something to eat. And we topped a hill. If you've ever been to Birmingham and stuff, it's like this, okay? And so I topped this hill, and, and right as I got to the top of the hill, my engine just shuts off. And I'm like, turn the key, nothing's happening. I'm towing a seven by 16 trailer that's loaded with barbecue pits and everything else. And I was only doing 60 at the time. I was trying to save a few miles per gallon. And that's it. I said, the engine's, I don't know what's wrong. And my wife goes into overdrive praying in the Holy Ghost. Woof. I mean, she's praying in tongues. Woo! And I'm like, baby! We got two and a half more miles to the next exit. And there's a whole bunch more of these hills. And I don't even know if there's a gas station there. I'm trying to tell you this real fast. She starts praying even faster. I mean, she's praying the Holy Ghost. It's like she's got that motorboat on high. And I'm trying not to be negative going, I'm not sure, keep praying, keep praying. And we're going over the hill and and we can't figure out how. We go over the next hill, and there's the exit. And it's like half, it says one half mile to the next exit. And we're slowing down, slowing down. I can feel that trailer dragging. 
And I said, oh, no, it's an exit that goes straight down like this. And I look, and, and when, so when we make the top of the exit, I look, and I see a shell station, but I've got to go. There's a light at the end of the exit. Then there's a light as soon as you turn right, and you've got to cross a four lane to get over to the shell and go up the hill into the parking lot at the shell. I said, baby, pray. <laughs> I saw her looking at me. <laughs> She's talking in tongue, man. You know, and she looked at me like, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> And I said, I'm just letting you know, the light's about to turn red at the bottom. When I get down there, I ain't stopping. <clears throat> and so right as we get to the bottom, that light turns red, and the, the people waiting hadn't started yet. So I pulled it out, and there's a light right there, and it's red. I said, baby, I'm going through it. She's, I mean, she's praying. And I mean, as soon as I start to doze my way through it, because, I mean, we're, we're going to stop right there in the intersection, the light turns green, and I'm like, I'm like Fred Flintstone trying to do like this in my car, you know, and she's praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm like, please don't stop. It's right in the middle of this four-lane block and all the traffic. Somehow we creep through, and then I said, I got, I'm trying to turn the steering wheel, go up into the parking lot of the Shell station. I get turned, and I'm thinking the trailer's going to make it in. Long story short, we stopped in front of a pump. And I had less than six inches from the end of the pump thing to my gas. And my wife, my heart beating like this. And I'm looking to make sure there's no policeman out there following me, you know. And she says, do you think we're out of gas or do you think the engine just died? I'm like, baby, one thing at a time, I don't know. I said, it says we got a quarter of a tank, I don't know. My, my, my vehicle holds 22 gallons. I put 21.85 gallons in it. We started it back up. I said, let's see if it starts. Boom. I said, thank God I just had it worked on. Where's the Markham's at? <laughs> Amen, brother. I get to the hotel, and the guy goes, hey, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good, but my guardian angel, he's tired. He said, you what? I said, a guardian angel. He just pushed my, my vehicle with that trailer for two and a half miles. He looked at me. He said, he did? <laughs> I said, he sure did. I said, I'm tired thinking about how hard he was pushing. And I told him the whole story. He said, I ain't never heard nothing like that in my life. I said, that's what God will do if, if you're on God's side. He said, Oh, my God, check that out. <laughs> That's what he told me. He said, I'm going to check that out. <laughs> and, uh, so I believe in the supernatural. Because, look, you don't drag no trailer two and a half miles up and down hills through two red lights up into the parking lot of a shell station on empty. I don't care who you are. Uh, that, that was just gone. But here's the thing. God can do the supernatural, but most of the time, God works with us, okay? Now, my point is, I had put gas in the car. I just filled up a short while before that because I don't want to get down too empty, okay? And, and I had done everything I could do, and the meter said a quarter of a tank. I don't know why it did that. And, uh, but now I fill up at a half a tank. 
<laughs> I don't care where I'm at. Half a tank, baby. That's where we're filling up. But what God requires of us is to take steps of faith and obedience in the process as he leads us and he guides us. He'll bless us and he'll open doors. So there's three, three areas of preparedness I'm going to talk about real quick. And, and, and the first one is spiritual preparedness. I started, I had this last kind of like, like this is the clincher, but I'm going to put it at first. Because for me personally, this is the most important thing. Because if you're spiritual, if you being spiritually prepared encompasses all the other areas of your life. Amen. See, if you're not spiritually prepared, then you're going to do everything else out of the natural. You're going to do what you think is right or you heard somebody say or your best friend talked to you about or, you know. What you need to do is you need to hear what God is saying. And being spiritually prepared supersedes everything else. How, how do you apply that in your life? So oftentimes God calls us to be alert, be on guard, be watchful, be prayerful, be ready. And this is the time to be established in God's word. And if you don't know what God's word is, this is it, the Bible. There isn't, there isn't something else. There's not another book or some preacher or some evangelist or prophet with a word. This is the place to get your word right here, Okay. And this is the time to be consistently praying and listening to the voice of Holy Spirit. And this is the time to establish godly relationships with those that will help you and encourage you in times of difficulty. And this is the time to be doing whatever it is that God has designed you to do. So you need spiritual preparedness. Then the second one may seem a little strange, but it's mental preparedness. And some might argue that there's no difference, but I think that there is. Because you can be spiritually prepared, but sometimes you got to talk to yourself. How many of you talk to yourself? And if you get in an argument and slap yourself, that's another thing altogether, <clears throat> you know. But sometimes you have to talk to yourself. I mean, the psalmist talked to himself, and the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And the soul, that's the mind, the will, and emotion, goes, I don't feel like blessing God today. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Well, I remember what he did before, but I don't know about right now. He said, bless the Lord. What was he doing? He's talking to himself. You've got to have mental preparedness. I know that sometimes they overlap, but, but look what Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 16 and 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. In other words, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and if I could put it another way, cultivate your situational awareness. Now, somebody is out there going, what in the world does that mean, situational awareness? I'm glad you asked. This means to be alert and or aware of what is happening in your immediate environment, okay? 1 Peter 5 and 8. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Be aware that you never let your guard down, that Satan is working. And, and can I tell you, that includes that he uses people to get at you. And you need to be aware of it. Because sometimes you may just need to make a change in your attitude or that relationship. 
Proverbs 22 and 3 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. It speaks of someone who looks ahead and will see trouble coming and do everything to avoid it. Okay? Mental preparedness is an attitude or an act of will and can be very much contrary to what we are both feeling and thinking. The greatest example I could think of is found in Matthew 26, and it's when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew what was coming. It was clearly, he was clearly distressed about it. He, if, he asked his father, if there's any way this cup can pass, please let it pass. But if not, your will be done. That demonstrated to me the mental toughness, if I can put it that way, in Jesus knowing that he was going, what he was going to, what he was going to have to do, but he was willing to suffer through it anyway. Sometimes you just going to, and if you're not grounded in this word, then it's, it's almost impossible to be mentally prepared. Because there are going to be times when the enemy comes against you and you're going to have to say, devil, get behind me, for it is written. See, that's be mentally and spiritually prepared. You're going to have to say, honey, I don't know how God's going to meet our need. I don't know how he's going to pay the bill. I don't know how he's going to put food on the table. But I know and you know that he's going to do it because God never fails. See, you've got to be mentally prepared to talk like that, okay? And, 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 and um, the, the final one is material preparedness, okay? Proverbs 6, 6 and 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, overseer, or ruler, and yet it stores its provision in summers and gathers food at harvests. Proverbs 22 and 3 says, The prudent seek danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Some people believe that preparing for hard times means that you're fearful, but I don't see it that way at all. In fact, what I see <clears throat> is that there is hope in understanding what is happening. Do you know where fear comes? Fear comes from the unknown, it's the not knowing. Come on now. You get a call from the doctor and they said, uh, uh, you need to come in immediately. What's this about? I'll tell you when you get here. What happens? Fear comes to the door and immediately tries to get on your life, right? Because it's the unknown. You're like, just tell me now. You know, I remember in 1992, I was leading a missions team down in Venezuela and there was an attempted coup of the government, and we were under house arrest and, and, and everything else, and we couldn't get through. And I finally got through to the States for like a three-minute phone call to my wife. We were living outside West Monroe. And, um, and I said, she said, are y'all okay? We're hearing all kinds of stuff. I said, believe me, it's a lot worse than what you're hearing on the news. That's, I'm just telling you, don't believe everything you see on the news. Because when they're telling you it's good, it's usually bad. When they're telling you it's bad, it's usually good. And, uh, and anyway, so at the last 30 seconds or so of the phone call, I said, baby, they're getting ready to cut us off. She said, okay, well, I'll tell you what your son did when you get home. 
I said, I don't think so. You better talk fast. She said, he stole your car and wrecked it. And the police showed up on Sunday morning. And then the phone went dead. I think God left me in Venezuela for five extra days just to stew on that. <laughs> so that, because, you know, if I just got the word, man, I'm telling you, whoo, I'd have gone off, right? But I had time to pray and let it sit for a while and think about how am I going to respond to all this. Plus, I had all these people I was responsible for at the time. I think there's, there's hope in understanding what's happening, but there's hope also in being prepared. Okay, the people who stick their heads in the sand right now are going to be blindsided by what's coming. And if you don't believe that, just go ask Noah. Man, that man prepared for 100 years. And everybody mocked him and laughed at him and everything else. But when the storm came, guess what? He was ready. And the time to prepare for a storm is not when it's, it's, it's on top of you. It's, in, it's, you know, out there. I mean, we just entered into hurricane season, right? And what did you see the first week on the news everywhere? Prepared, get ready, get your supplies, get your emergency kits, have batteries, da-da-da-da-da. We, we understand that. But you know, statistics show that most Americans don't even have a basic emergency kit of any kind whatsoever. And it's not because they're poor or destitute. They simply see no need to put away a can of beans or some rice or some bottled water or whatever. They just don't see any need for that, okay, until it's going to be too late. Now, I'm going to say this. This is part of what I struggle with, but I'm going to say this because I love you and I care about you, all right? If you think that you cannot afford to put together a few items for an emergency, then I'm going to suggest that you take stock of your spending habits. If you add up how much you spend at the coffee shop every week, I ain't against coffee, but I'm just telling you, you know, you got four or five people in your family. Every time you go through, y'all are getting in, whatever, and you do it five times a week, add it up. You drank your can of beans, a bag of rice. <laughs> I mean, just you just did. Or eating out. How often do you think? People are shocked when they stop and think and record how much they actually eat out. I'm just going to swing through this drive-thru. And again, I'm not against restaurants or anybody else. I'm just telling you. Um, spontaneous spending. I don't know about you, man. They put things right there to grab your attention. You go, I need that. No, you don't. That's why they put it there. You want that. Uh, streaming services. I know people who have signed up for five, six, seven, eight streaming services. You say, well, it's cable, cheaper than cable. But if you, you can't put a, some, you know, canned chicken, tuna, or something like that to the side. I'm just saying, I mean, cable TV. Cut your cable TV off. He said, well, what do I do? You're watching streaming services already. I mean, you know, I mean, or anything else you're spending your money on, cigarettes or drinking or, I mean, whatever. Can I tell you sometimes we, we just spend stuff on things because we, we're used to doing that. But when you're going into difficult times, you've got to look at those things and go, what are necessities, what are wants, and what are desires? And you, you just kind of streamline that a little bit. 
because those things that I mentioned, they're not going to help you when difficult times come, okay? Wisdom says to put together a small emergency kit for natural disasters. That's just a common thing. All right, let me move quickly. In Mar on March 7, 2009, David Wilkerson sent out an emergency newsletter. And those of us who were around then and, and were all part of that, David Wilkerson was a prophetic voice to the body of Christ, though he never, never called himself a prophet. But it was, during the, it was near the beginning of, in the, of the financial crisis that broke out near the end of 2008 and was going into 2009. The stock market had crashed down to like 6,000. And, and um, him being in Times Square in New York City, he, was, he, was, he, was, he had his ear and his pulse on and everything that was going on. And... Um, he was talking about the storm that they were seeing at that time. And I can tell you right now, statisticians who watch this thing are saying that the storm we're looking at now overshadows that by a milestone. I'm just telling you. And in the email, he, he said, you've got to hear what Holy Spirit tells you to do. He told his congregation, he goes... This is what I am doing. He said, I'm not telling you to go do it. But he said, listen, he said, we're putting together a 30-day uh, supply of food for me and my wife. And he said, you know why? Because in New York City, how many of you have been downtown New York City? There ain't no supermarket, super Walmart, super Targets or anything like that. They got the little bodega on the corner store. And a flash mob in five minutes takes everything out of there. And when panic hits, people are just going to rush in it. So he told people that's what he was doing. He talked about that he had been buying silver coins for a while and things like that. But he said, you have to get your own word from God. And here's a, about a four and a half, five minute clip that I want you to hear from 2009 that is so on target for right now. And listen to what it says, and then I'm going to finish this message. Something from God's heart that God gave me this past day, past few days. Uh, the whole world knows what is happening here in the United States. We're in a worse crisis in our history. Uh, and the people everywhere, especially in New York City, where the crisis hangs so heavy overheads, there's a great fear. I was told that in the stock market, after it closes, uh, men are collapsing. And falling down in fear and it's not just an American problem it's a European problem it's worldwide God is doing what he warned us he would do when sins have mounted up into heaven and that's that he would shake everything that can be shaken and the whole world is shaking now with an economic meltdown and it's going to get so frightening that not one of us will be unaffected. We're all going to be affected. Every minister, every family, Christians and unbelievers alike. We're all going to feel and see things that are terrifying. And many are going to have their faith shaken. Many are going to abandon their faith. Even when Jesus walked the earth, when hard message came, when hard times came and he saw many leave him. He said, many, the Bible says, many forsook him. And he turned to his disciples and he said, will you forsake me also? Now, everywhere I go, 
I hear people saying, is there a word? What's going to happen next? What is God saying? And I want you to know what I believe God's speaking to my own heart, especially last night as walking and talking with him. Went to the word of God because the only word is from the word itself, from God. There's no economist, there's no evangelist, there's no one that can give us the answers. We have to go to the Word, we have to go to the Father. And in 1 Samuel, 30th chapter, I was, I was moved by the story of David and his 600-man army. They came upon over the hill toward Ziklag, their home base. And it was in ruins, the f fire had destroyed the city. His wives, all the wives, the children were all taken captive by the Amalekites. And the Bible says that David and his men wept. David was deeply distressed. And his men wept all day and probably through most of the night until they said there were no more tears. Now, let me tell you that you and I, the godliest person here in my voice, I don't care how famous you may be. I don't care who you may be. When you first see these frightening things come on the earth, there will be that first flash of fear and terror. If, if you were to say, I'm not afraid, then you really don't understand the situation. It's that first flash of fear. There's a time for weeping. And God understands that. And many of you listening to me now, the question is, where does this end? Where does it take it? And we have come to a time where every man, every woman has to get their own word from God. You can't get it from some great voice. You can't get it from someone you think is holier than you. You have to get alone with God. David got alone and the Bible said he encouraged himself. And you'll hear the voices. But you have to get your own word as David did. I have to get my own word. I have to shut myself in with God and with this book and let the Lord speak encouragement to me. Folks, it doesn't matter who prophesied what and when. That's all in the past. That doesn't matter. And you'll hear a lot of prophetic voices saying uh, good days are just ahead. No. We're in that time now that Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, and all the prophets said, the day of God's vengeance and recompense upon the wicked. But the prophet Isaiah said, but you are safe. This is not about God's people now, even though he's purging his church. This is about having a word from God. Now let me clarify or add to what he was saying there. <clears throat> And again, this purpose of this message is not to bring fear in any way whatsoever. But God has been saying, I'm about to shake everything that can be shaken. And when you see, how can I say it in a polite way? There is evil ruling this land. And, there, and we're on the precipice of seeing some evil decisions overturned but there are things in the works to undo all of that and god 
withholds judgment to see what we're going to do. But when God brings judgment, just like he did in Egypt against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, God's people that were obedient to what God said in the land of Goshen, those plagues and pestilences were right next door, but God was there and God overshadowed them and God took care of them. And, and my whole point in bringing out this is, is simply to make you aware of what God's doing. Because see, there's going to be widespread panic. I'm convinced of that, okay? But there are those I've been talking to, and some of you know people, men, they're into the prepared thing. That's all they are about the prepared thing. They could probably sell rice and beans to everybody in here for the next seven months. And, and if that's their thing, that's okay. But there's a balance to it. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, there'll be panic. There'll be those who prepare. He said, but son, even in your most preparedness, you're going to have to rely on my promises. See, some people want to grab the promises and say, I'm holding on to the promises. I'm not going to prepare. But I'm, I'm just telling you, it's a balance of all those things. It's a balance of it. The child of God always has God's promises. Matthew 6, 26 and 27. What does it say? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? So I want to tell you real quick, in summing this up, three things that the child of God needs to remember, okay? And the first one is this. We never want to give in to a spirit of fear. That is not of God. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, what does it say? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power and love and sound judgment. Anything that is done out of fear is not God. Okay, are you in agreement with me? That fear is not of God, <clears throat> all right? The second thing is, we never want to become obsessed with material things. And this is, I saw this during the Y2K thing. I saw this during back in the 80s with oil embargoes and gas rationing started. I mean, I saw this in 2008, and, and, and uh, I... I I remember years and years ago, not long after I came here, we, there was this prepping became the big thing, you know, preppers everywhere prepping. And, and we actually, they, we used this facility and we hosted an event where they had people come in and set up their wares. And, and, and they had, we had, in all our classrooms, we had things on beekeeping and raising you know, uh, I don't know what kind of animals they were, a bunch of different animals and, and I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, that's fine. Let people know. We're, you know, I was looking at it. I had like five, 600 people been in, came in this church that had never been in this church before. So we were getting them, hey, I didn't even know this church existed. Look what they're doing. That was great. Okay. Um, but what I'm saying is, while it's wise to save and set things aside for possible needs, we cannot become focused on those material things. Because material things are a means to live, not the reason to live. Come on now. That's the way it is. It has to be that way. We need to understand that. 
And then, and you know, for years, I mean, in my my house, we we buy, I buy certain items, and and we, we don't have a lot of room in the house, but I have certain items, and we just rotate those groceries out. We buy canned goods for this, and you know, dry goods, and and we use it, and then we replenish it, so that if anything ever happens, we've got it on hand. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm not rich. But, I mean, I just say, well, this is my grocery shopping. I make my, I start picking up a few extra things here, a few extra things here, until I got a little pantry emergency kit. And then as I use it, I put it back. I mean, it doesn't do any good to use your emergency kit, and then all of a sudden emergency happened, right? I'm just telling you. And the third thing is we need to keep our priorities in, in order um, and focus on the things that are really important. That doesn't mean we can all sit on our couches, eat potato chips, and wait for God to do everything for us. Okay? I remember years ago, Dr. Lester Sumrall, again, another incredible man of God that I had the privilege of knowing. And, and, and I look back at my young years, I think the people that God allowed me and my wife to be associated with. But he was talking about his personal relationship with, with uh, Smith Wigglesworth. And if you see his book, you'll see Smith Wigglesworth, the Apostle of Faith. And in one part, he told of his relationship, he told of his travels through Europe in the 1930s before the breakout of World War II. And, and um, when he was visiting with Smith Wigglesworth, he said, he said um, he, what he saw was coming and knew what was going to eventually happen. In other words, in the late 30s, they saw the, the, the rise of Nazi power and the socialist movement and, and all of these things that were political, that were taking part in, in the culture, and they knew that if it continued to rise, it would ultimately lead to a certain place. And he knew that. And he stated that. He said they had talked about that between the two of them. Here are these two great men of faith, and yet they were talking about what was coming, what was eventually going to come. So was that faithlessness for them to say that? Was it fear speaking? Was it a negative spirit that was speaking? No, I mean, two plus two is four. I mean, so if I got two and I add two, I'm going to get four. So if I connect the dots and we do this, America does this, America does this, America does this, the courts do this, the White House does this, the Congress does this, the financial system does this, it, it's ultimately leading to a certain place without a divine intervention from God. And yet God's people are, are more concerned about themselves than they are about what, what God is saying and what God is doing and what he's trying to do. And, and, and Lester Sumrall was just simply speaking an understanding of what he saw taking place in those days. And I remember he talked about his last trip to see Smith Eaglesworth. He had just received a letter from the State Department saying he had X number of days to get out of uh, Great Britain because um, uh, his visa was being canceled. And he, he told Smith Eaglesworth, he said, I'm afraid this will be our last time that we'll ever see each other. And they prayed together and they hugged, but that's exactly what happened. War broke out and he wasn't allowed to go back. Um, in Luke's gospel, Jesus told a short story and summarized it, but in Luke 16 and 8, 
And he said, the children of the world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of light. So let me, let me summarize this and bring it to a close. I'm, I'm not here to tell you what you should or should not do in regards to preparing for the future. In fact, several years ago, um, um, John Paul Jackson, uh, the late John Paul Jackson, had a series, uh, had dreams and, and, and visions God showed him. And it's called, it was called The Coming Storm. And it was around 2008, about the same time that David Wilkerson's message came out. But he showed it, and you, if you don't know it, you can go look it up on YouTube and see the whole thing. He talked about that there were five major storms that were going to hit the world, but especially the United States, and that they were going to affect different parts of the country um, in different ways, and that some of them were going to overlap, and some of them were going to combine into the perfect storm. You remember the movie, The Perfect Storm? One storm system's coming this way, another one's coming this way, and they, they join together and create this incredible storm. Um, and in that, he said this, and I remember this very clearly. He said, he said, just because God tells somebody over here to do something doesn't mean you should do it. And he later gave a follow-up on that, that he had been at a meeting, and what had happened, he, he, they, this person or these people had heard, so they started preparing everything, because their friends were preparing everything and putting it in their basement, okay? So they would have stuff. Well, these people decided to do the same thing. The problem was, geographically, they were in other parts of the country. And where they were living was down in the south here. And they had floods, and every single thing that they had put up got completely wiped out. And they were mad at God. But he asked them, he said, did God tell you to do that, or did you do that because your friends did it? And they finally admitted that they did it because their friends had said that was the thing to do. And that's why I'm telling you, and that's why David Wilkerson said, and that's why John Paul Jackson said, and anybody with any common sense will tell you, you have to hear from God for you. That's all I can say, okay? Um, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He will show you things to come. And when he speaks to you, your job is to obey him. Your job is not to stick your fingers in your ear and go, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And that's what a lot of Christians do. They, they, they don't want to listen because they're afraid what God might say. Why would you be afraid of the one who cares more for you than the sparrow that falls from the sky? Oh, come on now. I mean, why would you be afraid of that? Oh, you know what it is? Oh, you might have to make a few adjustments to your present lifestyle. You may have to make some changes and personal uh, purchases to accomplish the goals that you set. But the most important thing, and here it is, is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because without the relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to have Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus is the door. You can't get to God any other way. And if you want Holy Spirit to come, you've got to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, okay? That's important. The second thing is you must develop your time of prayer and study to God's word now. Now. I'm telling you, you better get in there and know what it says. If your daily bread is one verse a day, forget it. Your verse may be Judas went out and hanged himself. 
you laugh. I had a friend in Bible college did that. Every day he'd get up. One of my roommates, he'd go, Lord, give me a word. And one day, it was, he, the first verse he saw was Judas went out and hanged himself. He closed that. He said, that's not God. Lord, give me the word. And he opened it to another page and it said, go and do so likewise. You better get in God's word and you better be able to hear Holy Spirit because he ain't telling you that. And then the next thing I want to tell you is do not stop giving financially God's tithe. Notice I say it's God's tithe. I'm going to correct you if you say it to me to my face. Lord, Pastor, I pay my tithes. It ain't your tithe. Pardon my English. You pay the Lord's tithe. No, I give the Lord. No, the Bible says you pay because it belongs to him. I can't give what doesn't belong to me. I saw, I saw this happen to me one time, Brother Tiger. I was in New Orleans. Big meeting, Christians. And this evangelist, this faith healer got up and said, Everybody take out your wallet out of your purse or your back pocket or wherever. And everybody pulled out, hold them up high. And they said, how many of you believe everything in there belongs to God? Everybody, amen. They said, pass it to the person next to you on your left. And now the person on your left, take out what you want to put in the offering. I saw this. I'm thinking, I'm getting out of this meeting. That's a charlatan right there. Can I tell you that everybody that did it, they pulled out the biggest bill they could find. I looked at the guy next to me. I said, you ain't getting mine. Besides, mine only has two $1 bills in it. I'm going to make that decision real easy for you. It's easy to give what doesn't belong to you. Come on now. The tithe is the Lord's. And we pay it because we're stewards. You pay the electric company or do you just donate money to them? Do you, do you pay the auto plate bank or do you donate it to them? When you pay your taxes, do you donate it to Uncle Sam because you just feel like paying, giving them that? No, you pay it because it belongs. I'm telling you, the tithe is the Lord's. And I'm telling you, when tough times come, I've seen it so many times. The first thing that happens is they go, I can't afford to tithe. And I'm telling you, you can't afford not to. Because the Bible says that if you keep that, it's cursed. And everything in it is cursed. Somebody says, well, I'll pay it in a while. Do you know the Bible says if you want to borrow on the tithe, it's 20% interest. Just telling you, I learned the hard way. I'm telling you, years ago, I learned. When it gets tough, you give the Lord his part first. First. Not after you pay the electric bill and the car note and the gas bill and everything else. And you go, well, Lord, all I got is this first. Guess what? I don't know what to do. All I got is this first. I had somebody asked me one time in a membership class, can I start tithing at 3%? I said, tithe means 10. Can I start tithing at 5%? I said, tithe means 10. Well, why can't I start at 5 because it's not a tithe. A tithe is a tenth. That's what it means. That's 
said, well, I just don't understand. I said, well, I don't know how to make it any clearer. You give the Lord his part first. You want to see the supernatural? Do that. I'm just telling you. Do not stop giving. Or if you're not giving, you better start now. Because you want to prepare. <laughs> you pay that part first. You put that first. And then the last thing is, develop relationships with other spiritually like-minded believers I mentioned at the beginning of the message that when I saw that video God spoke to me about that dry creek bed and said that's what's coming the people need to be prepared but I told you there was two other aspects to it I was going to tell you one of them this week and the Lord showed me this that the water running also reflected the flood of people coming to find answers in the time of despair. He said, Son, tell my people that there may be leanness ahead, but my promises never run dry, and they will never fail if they put me first. But he said, I will cause this dryness, this leanness, to cause people to come like a flood to find the answers because they see it working in you. And the scripture tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord always in your heart. Always be ready to give an answer to every man who asks for the reason of hope that is in you. I'm telling you the flood's coming. But the flood's coming because of, of the dryness of the land. In fact, the weekend I was gone in Gadsden, I was in Glencoe, Alabama, about four or five miles south of Gadsden, we, where we were parked next to a beautiful park. And I was parked right on the edge of the park. And next to me was this, they, they called it a creek, or they called it, I forgot what they called it, a stream, but it wasn't really a stream, it was a little creek. And there were some little boys fishing down there. And they were talking about the big one that got away. I wanted to see it. You know, it was one of them little brim about that big, you know. He said, got away, man. Man, that was a big one, you know. But I was standing there looking, and the bank was way over the top of my head. But I noticed that the, the tree roots of the trees along the edge, all the water, all the dirt was washed away in, in that huge creek. And I turned to my brother-in-law and I said, that tells me that water gets that high because it's washed all the dirt out from under the tree roots up there along that whole creek all the way down. Tuesday night, I get a text from my sister who had been there. She says, have you seen what's happening at the Glencoe area where we were just at? And I said, no, she sent it to me live on Facebook, flash flood. Three to five inches of rain fell per hour for three hours and an inch per hour thereafter. That whole place was underwater. Every street was underwater. Houses were flooded out all the way up into Gadsden. It was completely flooded out. And I said, that little trickle, just a little trickle of stream, suddenly became a raging river. And when I saw that, and I had already seen that, God said, I'm telling you, Tell the church, get ready. Tell them to get ready. 
If you don't think you have a purpose, you don't have a thing, get ready. I'm telling you, there's a flood coming and it's people. It's people, they're, they're, flood, they're hungry and they're, they're looking for answers in time of shaking and time of dryness. They're looking for the answer. And Jesus is that answer. Amen. Let's pray right now. Before I go on to pray, I want to ask, is there anyone in here? And you would say, Pastor Bob, to be perfectly honest, I'm not right with the Lord. I, I need to give my life to Christ or I need to recommit my life to Christ. I need to get some priorities in line and I want you to pray with me right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now so I know who to pray for? I mean, thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that one too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you pray with me right now? You raised your hand right now. I want you to pray with me right now. Dear God in heaven, I come to you this day. Pray it with me. I come to you this day. And I hear the word of God. And it has moved my heart. And moved my soul. Dear Jesus. I surrender my life. Every aspect of it. I give to you this morning. Come into my life. And change it. Holy Spirit. From this day forward, give me ears to hear and a mind to understand and eyes to see in that word that I might know what you are saying for me and my family in this moment and in the days ahead. From this day forward, I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, folks, come on, man. It's awesome. <clears throat> I'm telling you, the greatest days for the church are right now and in the days to come. You've been praying for a New Testament church? Get ready. It's happening. God's arranging the pieces and putting it all together and it's coming faster than you can even imagine it's coming faster than you can imagine it's, in fact it's now say it's now turn, turn to your neighbor and go it's now the time for the church is now not tomorrow not next week not a month it's now God's opening the doors even now amen why don't you stand together and let's pray. Let's give, I want you to, here's what I want. I want you to take a moment and give God thanks that he's called you to live in this day and age. Do you realize that if he's called you and birthed you to be alive at this moment, it's because he needs you at this moment. You have a purpose in the plan of God. Just thank him for that right now. Just thank Him for that right now. God, we just bless You. And we thank You, Lord God, that, Father, we, we are called to be alive at this moment in Earth's history, Lord. That means the, the greatest shock and awe that the world has ever seen is being released from heaven. And, Father, we have a part in it. We give You praise for that, Father. 
and we thank you. Now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each and every one in this place. You would help them to know what you've called them to do. There will be some who will prepare for them and there'll be others who will prepare to help others because they have the means and they've been blessed in that way. But Father, I know this, that if you can cause a scavenger bird to feed the prophet, that God, you will take care of your people who put you first. So we do not fear the days ahead. We look with anticipation and excitement to see how you are going to move and what you are going to do. And week after week after week, we will hear testimonies of the things, the glorious things that you have done in the name of Jesus Christ through your church. We give you praise for that, Lord God. Amen and amen and amen. If you need special prayer for anything, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, just give God praise as you walk out of this place today. Let the praise of God be heard as you go out of this place. Amen.